Welcome to Life Point with your host, Pastor Tom Doherty. Well, folks, thanks again for joining us this week. I'm with Pastor Max Buchanan, and he is my associate at the Cloverdale Church of God, been with me uh, over seven years, and he handles much of our teaching because God has gifted him in teaching, and he's going to continue sharing out of the book of John. We're going to be in chapter two today. So, Max, thanks for joining me this week again. Yeah, most definitely. All right, looking forward to some good times. Let's pray, folks. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you with all our heart, soul, and mind. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for walking us with us and leading us through the still waters. Restore our soul, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me read to you chapter 2 in about 12 or 13 verses of chapter 2. Then Pastor Max will head us out. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Well, that's nice. They had a party. They were all invited, yeah. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servant, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that he had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs Though which he revealed through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. They stayed there for a few days. <laughs> I like this. And the disciples believed in him. They saw him turn, you know, a hundred gallons of water into wine. Yeah, that might cause some believing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So there is a lot. In this little section, I think a lot of times we read it and we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, but what's really going on here? So on, the, we have this sequence. So we have a first day and then in verse uh, 35 of chapter one, it says the next day. And then it says on the third day in, to open chapter two. And so we have this sequence going on. And so Jesus is at this wedding. He's invited to this wedding. Well, what happens is they run out of wine. At this wedding, you have an immense amount of time in the Jewish culture to prepare for a wedding. Not only that, it is the groom's uh, responsibility to prove that he can take care of the bride. So to run out, and these could have been poor families, we don't, you know, from the section of area that they were from, that's probably the case. But to run out of wine is a huge embarrassment. It's not just a Cloverdale barbecue that runs out of hot dogs. Like this has (laughs) serious implications that that are extremely embarrassing for the family. Not only that, but the, you know, it's showing that he's ill fit to take care of this bride parties or especially weddings in this day were like the thing that everybody went to. Um, they were extremely long and their weddings worked quite a bit different than ours did. And so how we get engaged 
there's no legal binding. When they would get engaged, you were legally married. So if you look at the story, you know, in Luke about Jesus being born, it says that Mary was a virgin, but she was betrothed to Joseph. And it said that he would have to divorce her quietly. You already had the legal responsibility. It was a sig- it was significant that you would go and you would take your bride and then go to the wedding. So you were legally already married. And then after that time of saving up to prepare for this giant party, like we said, you have all this preparation, everything has to go right. It's you proving that you can take care of this bride. You go and you take your bride and you bring her to the wedding. We know that of the, the parable of the, of the virgins, the 10 virgins. Some of them have oil, some of them not. It says that that bridegroom came in. That's to show us that Jesus comes in and he takes his church so to be ready. But that was showing the same thing it was at night and they were supposed to light the way because the groom was going to come take the bride so there's a lot of you have to kind of understand uh you know near eastern weddings during this time to kind of get the full picture of this to see that it was actually super embarrassing it's not something that was lighthearted in the slightest this was horrendously awkward bad situation to be in so that's what's taking place here so it reminds me a little bit of uh Romanian uh, weddings we've had in our church. We had back when we we leased it out for other churches' weddings, so we don't do that anymore, but uh, they would have packed houses, but they would spend all day preparing. They It was it just huge. Yeah. And it was an all-day event. Yeah, just a know? huge and, deal. And you had to put on – I mean, I've never seen so many pastries in my life that looked un- amazing. I thought, man, I'd like to be a part of this. Yeah. Of course, I was just going to be a part for the food. There you go. But these guys, yeah, they – it was a whole, it was a big thing, and if you you didn't have everything down, yeah, you know, it was it was, like you said was going to be embarrassing. So yeah, Mary helped Jesus come to the rescue. Yeah, absolutely. And so Mary calls out, and we don't quite know why she got herself involved. If she knew the wedding party super well, or if she had some sort of you know thing that she was doing, if she was in charge of anything, uh, but she calls to Jesus, and there's a clear clear marker in here. It says the mother of Jesus said to him, "We have no wine." And Jesus said to her, woman, that sounds super disrespectful. It does, yeah. Super disrespectful. It's actually not. It's actually an enduring term in the Greek. Um, And so when you go to the death of Jesus while he's dying on the cross, and he says, woman, to his mother, and she goes, this is now your son, talking about John, saying he has responsibility to look after her. As he, like, tells her that, uh, he uses that same term. So it's not disrespectful in the Greek. When we translate it into English, you're like, whoa, what is he doing here? But it's specific because he's now saying that his ministry is starting because he doesn't address her as mom. He says, our relationship's now about to change because I belong to my heavenly father and I belong to his timetable. And that's where the expression, the hour has not yet come, comes in. Jesus is going to repeat this time and time again until eventually his hour comes. So I can tell my wife, woman, come here. If you do it in Greek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll pass. Yeah, yeah. I think you should. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so... You know, as we look at at Jesus uh, in this moment, he says, you know, my hour has not yet come. That's really establishing and saying that he's on his father's timetable. And so he is going to be glorified in the way in which God has planned for him. And this is what's so fascinating is that we've already established in chapter one that he's fully God. He's fully God and fully man. And yet there's this weird thing that happens in the Trinity where Jesus is submitted to his father all the way to the point of his death the entire time he's here bound by flesh. He steps out of heaven to come rescue us. We've seen, let's make man in our own image, like we talked about the first day we were talking. 
he has this divine nature and yet he steps into human nature and is kind of almost a prisoner in this flesh almost to the point of his death and submits himself perfectly to God the entire time. So if we have a God that can submit perfectly to authority within himself, how much more as Christians do we need to submit? And I think that that's like the attitude of the church is flipped in so many ways of like, we want to tell God what is moral. We want to tell God what our standard is. Well, guess what? Your standard doesn't matter. If you believe this is the word of God, whatever it says in here is true and it still stands today. It doesn't matter what you feel about it. It matters that you come before God, and even if you don't like it, you submit to it. But so often I feel like we have Christians in our world today that don't want to stand on the things of God. They want to dictate their morality to God because they can't see things the way that he is, knowing that his ways are higher than ours and his purposes are higher than ours. And so it's interesting to see that uh, Jesus, this quality that he has, this attribute of submitting uh, to authority within himself is something modeled to us. Do you think he, uh, this said, I, I believe it said, let me just read it real quick. It, it said, uh, when Jesus, what he did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Do you think Jesus did as a first? He said, do you think mm. he did other miracles prior that was more private or? I, I'm not really sure. So uh, the book of John follows this chorus uh, where you get into the later chapters and it really speeds up. So we get cover quite a span of time from one to, I think it's like chapter 12. I, I, I don't have my notes in front of me, so this is just off of memory. And that's declared as his public ministry. Then he switches to his private ministry. That's where he's in the upper room. And he's revealing, you know, and it starts with the miracle of Lazarus. Lazarus was one of his own. So when he heals Lazarus, it's the start of just working for the people that he that love him. So private ministry. So did he have like a stint of private ministry? I mean, he uh, was God. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't rule it out. I, I don't believe yeah. in scripture anywhere. So it definitely could have. And there's like different myths and legends. Yeah, I guess this would know? all be speculation because it's not 100%. No, nowhere, nowhere yeah. recorded. Yeah, it's, it's super fun to speculate. Um, but one more point on, on this. So he takes these ceremonial washing jars you'd wash feet with them also they washed everything in the jewish culture if it was dirty you couldn't touch it right you couldn't touch it in the slightest so it was ceremonial it wasn't like they're sitting there with the soap they were washing they were covid prepared covid prepared yeah so in our day and age they were yeah they were so good at uh social distancing and sanitation uh but they would sanitize everything so that's what these water jugs were for uh foot washing sanitizing everything it wasn't just a cleanly thing it was a ritual everything had to be sanitized and so jesus turns this water into wine and what's interesting is is it says here draw out they had him draw the water um in the servant who drew the water and that word in the greek is interesting because it implies an abundance because when jesus meets the woman at the well in in a few chapters it's the same word there and it's not really used elsewhere in scripture it's this idea of drawing out from abundance so there's different words for uh, receiving water in a different way when he says draw out it's declaring not only that God's providing in abundance, but that God is providing the best. Because we go down, the master of feast is like, everybody's supposed to drink the good wine first, bad wine second. They're not going to be as mad about it as they're well drunk, right? And so as they've drinking, you know, all this wine. And so when we look at this, God provides in an abundance and he provides the best. How much does God want to provide for us abundantly and the best? This isn't prosperity gospel. This is here. God's truth. Yes. We live on God's truth. Well, we're out of time, folks. And so we're going to dive into the next part of Chapter 2 tomorrow. I hope you'll join us. Thanks again, Max. Yeah, most definitely. Lord bless you, folks. Have a great day. 
LifePoint is a ministry of the Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like a copy of today's broadcast or would like more information about the church, please call us at 208-362-1700 or write to Cloverdale Church of God, 3755 South Cloverdale Road, Boise, Idaho, 83709. You may also visit us at our website, www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.